0: Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against uh, what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. But also a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And honor, then honor. I would love to tell you this morning that the Apostle Paul is really not telling us what we think he's telling us. I would love to tell you that this particular portion in Romans 13 was inserted later by scribes. I would love to tell you that at the time Paul wrote this, he was not fully aware of Nero's uh, destructive power against the Christians and Jews living in Rome and that there was relative peace happening within the region. I would love to tell you that the Apostle Paul was only looking towards the coming of the Messiah, or the returning of the Messiah, I should say, uh, the second coming, and that's what he is mentioning at the end of chapter 13. So he's saying, look, this is only temporary. You only have to do this for a little bit of time. Just put up with it for a little bit, and then it'll be okay. I would also love to tell you that the Apostle Paul is only telling you to uh, be... Uh, submissive to these authorities if they are only following after what God's heart is leading them towards and that you should only obey as long as they are functioning as such and I would also love to agree with maybe some liberal commentators which are saying that Paul is just being sarcastic here this is an over exaggeration of something that the people would read and be like nah we get it Paul you're just joking here But I cannot. And uh, Dr. Douglas Moo, a New Testament professor and Greek scholar, has also come to these conclusions as well, that in fact Paul is really saying what we think he's saying. And there's no getting around them. We are told that the governing authorities have their authority because they're of God. They have been established by God, and if we are rebelling against that authority, then we are rebelling against none other but God Himself. But is that all that this passage is saying? Some of you are like, I sure hope so. Well, we're going to get into it. I can see from your discomfort that you would really hope that I would unpack this in a way to make us feel good and happy, and and there's going to be uh, unicorns and and rainbows after this, and um, there might not be. Are you saying that we should maybe just have to blindly submit then to these governing authorities that are over us and and not push against it if we see that they are going against God's will and God's heart? So thank you, Pastor John, for allowing me to take and tackle this softball uh, sermon topic as we get into Romans 13, which is not his fault. In fact, it's a topic, an area that I have kind of struggled with every time I've read chapter 13 in Romans and uh, wanted to do a deep dive into it this week as well. But Romans 13, specifically 1 through 7, has been used throughout history by those who are in power to subjugate those who are not in power. We see it in politics as well. In fact, on June 15, 2018, then uh, general uh, attorney Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions quoted it as he defended the Trump administration from separating children from their parents at the borders. Uh, And he cites this very passage. He says, I would cite to you the apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purposes of order. Then sessions went on to say orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves and protect the weak and the lawful. And then later on White House press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders summed up the same idea and it said it is very biblical to and very biblical to enforce the law. For people who are in power, Romans 13, 1-7 is always used to their benefit, but as soon as that power shifts and they are no longer in power, Romans 13, 1-7 then sounds sort of oppressive and sort of questioning why we should do this, and I hope you can see the irony of how that plays out um, in our political system as well. Needless to say, I will tell all of us here to be careful not only in how we apply this scripture passage into our lives, but how we read all of scripture and live it out in the world today. Pastor John reminded us last week we should all remain humble because Pastor John does not have all the answers. I do not have all the answers, and I didn't have all the answers on this sermon either. And so I would hope that you would provide me a little bit of grace as we move through this difficult passage this morning. Let me first just start off by giving you some context. Number one, I hope that we can all come to agree that God is the final and ultimate authority on earth and in the universe. Can we agree on that, that God is the final authority over all things and all creation, everywhere and anywhere? Can we agree on that? If we cannot, you can come and find me after the sermon and we can talk about that a little more. And since God is the final authority and he rules absolutely and he is completely sovereign, everything and anything under his authority is subject to his authority. Do you see what I mean by that? There is nothing and anything in this world that operates if it is not found or bound within God's authority. You know, that's a quote uh, Denzel Washington here. He's like, hey, I own this place. You guys just live here. Right, That's not only that's what God is saying, but God is ruling absolutely and 100% authoritative. And so there is no authority that is not which is accountable under God. Do you see what I mean by that? That is our starting place. And God has allowed his precepts, his law then, to help guide his people and how they understand and how to live with one another in a system of order, And control. You see, this took individual rights out of the hands of people who decided that they were going to act upon what they felt was right or wrong, that they became in themselves their own authority, operating on their own. No, instead, God gave numerous rules, numerous outlines to be able to help people govern themselves appropriately and properly so that there was order, not absolute chaos. And so we see what happens when people are God-fearing and they listen to God. And we also see what happens throughout the Bible when people do not listen to God and how that fares for the people. So... God allows authority, people to have authority for a certain time, for a specific purpose, for God's purposes. And in fact, if we go to Revelation chapter 13, looking at verses 5 through 8 specifically, God even tells us that Satan is going to have a certain amount of authority and rule over people on this earth as well. And we see again how those who are in governing bodies above us do things right, do things wrong. Follow after God's heart and do not follow after God's heart. And in fact, this is the context. Because the Apostle Paul, when he gets into 13, look what he says back in chapter 9. He's referencing this man, Pharaoh. And in chapter... 9, 14 through 18, and in verses 22 through 23, we see this context. He says, What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh... I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he has mercy or he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And then we skip down to verse 22. But what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known before, with great patience, the objects of his wrath prepared for the destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? The Apostle Paul, when he gets to 13, is going back, I think, to Romans 9 to make his point. You see, at the time of Pharaoh, the Hebrews were enslaved for around 400 years. And do we see those people at that time rising up and rebelling against the Pharaoh? In Scripture, it does not say anything about that. But what we do here is that God heard their cries, he heard their oppression, and he decided to do something about it. He changed those people then into a powerful nation to bring about his light into this world. Pharaoh's heart was hard, and God had hardened Pharaoh's heart as well. And I don't believe that Paul would have mentioned this earlier, not to just bring it up again in his point in Romans 13. I think the two are connected. Paul knew who Nero was, and he knew how ruthless he was in the punishment against those who were Jews and who were Christians. They were kind of one and the same in his mind, and there was rioting, and people were being killed. And this is the context in which Paul is writing his letter to the church in Rome. They probably might have scratched their head on reading this for the first time as well. And Paul also knew that when he wrote this letter to the church in Rome, that it would probably circulate back to Nero himself, telling Nero, in fact, you're not God. God is God. But this idea of submission that the Apostle Paul is talking about in 13 is not a new concept in submission at all. If you go back and you look at Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, as well as Philippians chapter 2, we see that Paul lays out what submission looks like, specifically in 521. He says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And wouldn't you know that in this context, in chapter 5, Paul is talking about our relationships with other people and how to navigate that relationship with one another and how we need to navigate our relationship between us and God, Christ. And the church as well. And then in chapter 6, starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul knows that there is a spiritual warfare happening right now. And wouldn't you know, in the context of 5 and 6, and then in 13, he's talking about these authorities and his mission, and that our submission is ultimately to Christ. And this is why we can see how laws and policies that are in place today can seem like they were born out of Satan's mind himself. So let's go back and look at the primary message so that I can make sure we're all on the same page for the next part of the sermon. Verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no other authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Everybody understands now we're under the context of God being the ultimate authority and how any authority is subject to God. Verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. For those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers, hold no terror for those who do uh, to do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. I believe, again, once it, Paul is talking about that authority that which God has established, that institution of authority, again, subject to him, and some of those people may or may not be following after God's own heart. But he is warning them. If you want to rebel against these governing authorities, you need to also be aware of the consequences that are going to be to follow. You're going to be punished Because of the rules that have been instituted over you, whether you like the rules or not, they're still the governing laws of the land. And if you choose to rebel against them, then you will have to submit to the consequences. You're going to be punished because of what the law says, not because you like it or not. And he says, if you do what is right, you're going to be commended. Commended by who? God or the authorities? I would say that it would probably be those individuals that we are under, that we would be commended by. We go to verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of a matter of conscience. Paul is saying, look, capital punishment exists for a reason. And if there was no governance at all that possibly could wield the sword, we would be able to get away with whatever we wanted. There would be absolute chaos. And in fact, if there was no governing authorities, that would be anarchy. Things would be chaotic. You go and you pick up your phone to dial 911, just like they had back at the time that Paul wrote this letter, and nobody would come to respond. It would be absolute chaos. And this is why we actually pay our taxes. We do our revenue, uh, as we see starting in verse 6. Pay your taxes. Pay your revenue if you owe revenue. If you owe someone honor, honor, and then respect and respect. Respect. How would this work out today if we all decided not to pay our taxes? Some of you might be jumping up and down like, yeah, no more taxes. Stick it to the man, right? But we'd have no schools. We'd have no police. We'd have no fire. Our bridges would be falling apart. The roads would be in disarray and there would be chaos everywhere. So in fact, this governing authority above us is actually for our good. And so we pay for those things because... People have committed their time and effort to providing those good things for us. And we don't always appreciate what our tax dollars are always being used for. We can agree on that. But nonetheless, we still do it because that's what we're told to do. And since we live and we uh, submit to what those authorities are, that's just what we do. So Paul's point, you have people and authority above you and God is in control Not them. God's in control. Submit to God. Pay these people whatever they deserve, whatever they need. God's going to take care of you. And if you decide to rebel against this governing authority above you, just be prepared. They do wield the sword for a reason. But now we're on the part of the sermon where maybe you need to take a break. Just take a breath For a moment, we're about half, we're just a little bit halfway through. If you need to stretch, stand up, whatever, that's okay, because you still have questions. You're still wondering the tension that you have in your head right now. Does this mean that we should just blindly submit to our leaders without petitioning or without pressing against them or pointing out injustices that are happening around us? Should we never hold our leaders accountable for their decisions and laws that they make? Well, let's go back and look at the Bible. I'm going to give you a few examples. The first one is in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now let's switch back to Romans chapter 13, verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong... Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. Back to Daniel chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. There are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. Back to Romans thirteen three. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one and authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Now let's finish up in verse 16 through 18 of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, And we know the rest of the story. King Nebuchadnezzar tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wonderful, well, in that case, you're free to go. No, they rebelled against the authority. They clearly broke the law that was told to them, and they were executed. They were thrown into the fire. But they weren't killed. They survived. Because God's hand was there and God saved them from the flames. Do you see how God was acting through this miraculous encounter? Even though the authority that was wielding this was totally uh, not of God. Later on in Daniel, we see how Daniel also rebelled. And he was thrown into a lion's den to be executed because he too was choosing To not obey the law that was set before him. We see this in Exodus 1 with the midwives disregarding what Pharaoh had commanded them to do, which was to kill all the newborn Hebrew boys. And they feared God, so they did not listen to that law. We see this with Queen Esther. We see this throughout the Bible in so many different ways. The passage in Romans 13 is not saying anything about those who are in governing positions who are doing what's right or what's wrong. It's just simply stating what is factually correct. All authority belongs to God. God established the rule of order for humankind. We can see how it was wielded rightly. We can see how it was wielded evilly. Is that a word? Wrongly? Badly? Inappropriately, And we see how those consequences not only affected the leader, but also the people who were being governed by that leader. But let's listen to see what Jesus has to say when he was on trial before Pilate. In John chapter 19, 8 through 11, it says, "...when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. "'Where do you come from?' he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer." Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Do you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty, guilty of a greater sin. Jesus God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, is here speaking to Pilate, a secular authority, and is telling him, you only have power because of the one who is ultimately in power allowed you to have it in the first place. Now, people who are representing God's power Do not always do it well, they do not always do it with mercy, they do not always do it in love, and they do not always do it in compassion. Because if that were the case and all our governing authorities were obedient to God and listened to the heart of God, there would have never been a Holocaust. Jesus would have never even been crucified. The slave trade that took place here in our country from the 1600s to the 1800s would have never happened. The decimation of a First Nations people here would have not occurred. Sanctioned lynchings would have not happened. On-demand abortions would not be a thing. And overreaches of our freedoms and restrictions by our government today would never be a thing. Everything would just be rainbows and unicorns. So don't be mistaken that just because the authority and the positions are established by God, ordained by God, and it represents his wrath, his judgment, and justice, it does not mean that those governing authorities are always doing what is right. And they do not always make the best decisions. And yet, throughout all of history, God has still always been in charge. Today, God is still in charge. So... When do we push against these governing authorities? That's what you're all wanting to know, maybe. When do we push against them? Are we even allowed to? Should a Christian even do this? Or is that unpatriotic? Or is that unchristian-like? Well, we had a clue back in Daniel... That anything that opposes the worship of God and putting any other thing before God is a sin. Therefore, you have to obey God rather than man. And which this is seen specifically in the New Testament in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What is right in God's eyes? That's the clue. They knew that it was to continue to preach the name of Jesus. And wouldn't you know, the authorities that were above them said, Great, keep on doing it. We know that you're following after God. They did not. Because we see later on in chapter 5, verses 28 through 29, the apostles were brought back in to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said, and you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. You see, just as the government is a representation of God's authority to govern and rule well, the government is not God. The president is not God. No ruler ever in history on this earth is God. Well, Jesus. But that's it. God is God. God is in charge. God is the ultimate authority. And so, we are told that if it goes against the nature of God, that we are to speak up against it. And that's why there were prophets all throughout the Bible. They were the ones who confronted those who were in power to tell them what exactly was wrong, what was right, where they needed to fix themselves, and where they needed to fix the situations, and how they got put in the situation in the first place. And it does not relieve our responsibility as Christians to be a prophetic voice as well, to also call out what we see as unjust, where we also need to help those who are marginalized and to petition a government to be able to do what's right, even if they're not following after God or even if we think they're following after God. When we rebel or when we choose to not submit, it should not be through violence. It should not be through hate or hating each other through social media because I see that all the time, but through prayer Did I say prayer before? You should be praying for people who are in the governing authorities above us, giving them, asking God, give them discernment, give them wisdom, help them to make wise and good decisions that would reflect your heart, help them to get past themselves to do what is wrong or to do what is right, even when other people who are telling them to do what is wrong and it might cost them their office, but that they would stand up to do right. And if you openly protest, then you must also face and be submissive to the consequences that could potentially happen because they wield the sword for a reason. I'm going to conclude with this, and it's a, it's a quote from uh, theologian John Piper. He says, We're the people of the cross, and our Lord submitted to crucifixion willingly to save his enemies. And we owe our eternal life to him. We are forgiven sinners, which takes the swagger out of our protest. It takes the arrogance out of our resistance. And after, after every other means has failed, we must disobey for the sake of love and justice We will first remove the log from our own eye, which will cause us enough pain and tears to soften our indignation into a humble, quiet, but unshakable no. The greatest battle that we face is not overcoming unjust laws, but becoming these kinds of people. Paul's challenge to the church in Rome, and really for us today, is revolutionary. This is not about our own individual rights and liberties, which we have been guaranteed by, by a certain document which governs this land. Remember, whatever the government gives, the government can take away. I learned that from being in the army for 22 years. Whatever they give, they can take away. There is a day that's coming, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, but a time will come, When our voice, when our choosing to submit to God first and foremost over our governing authorities will lead to our death. It will lead to our reputations being ruined. It will lead to people walking away from us in friendship and even in our families because we'll do what is right because we serve God first and foremost. Will we be willing to sacrifice ourselves In order to pursue the things of God, which he is calling his church to respond to in this world, I would hope to God that we would all be at a place to where we'd be willing to do that at all costs. John is going to clear up the rest of the sermon for us uh, in a couple of weeks, but I think that our missionaries from China who are speaking to us next week might shed some light on how this and other parts of the Bible are speaking into their situation as well. Let's pray. God, thank you again for your love, your discernment, your direction. And I just pray, God, that your words were heard today, that I didn't mess it up too badly, and that, um, God, we can be submissive to you first and foremost. We recognize, God, that we are responsible to you. We serve you, we love you, and we put you first in all things. So help us to be able to hear your heart God, to call out things that we know are not right and to also learn to be humble in all things, recognizing we don't have all the answers, but ultimately you're in charge and we trust that you are in charge and that you are taking care of things exactly the way they need to be taken care of. And so we submit to you first in your will. Amen.